Originally from Chesapeake, Virginia, Randall now lives in Philadelphia with his wife, Bianca, and their soon-to-be-born child. Randall works for the Culture Project as a mission growth officer. The Culture Project is an initiative of young people set out to restore culture through the experience of virtue. They proclaim the dignity of the human person and the richness of living sexual integrity, inviting our culture to become fully alive. You can support Randall directly by going to thecultureproject.org and finding his name on the donate page. This is a Know His Love story. You know, the, the first thing that immediately came up in my head and the thing that keeps coming up for me is um, about a year ago, um, so I got, I got uh, married to my wife uh, a little over a year ago. Um, so we're, we're coming up on two years now. So about a year ago was, um, our first couple months, our first year in marriage. And, uh, I had really, um, really for most of my life up to that point, struggled with an addiction to pornography. Uh, and it was one that was, um, just very, very present in my life. For over 10 years up to that point, um, there was something that was very, very challenging for me, something that um, I had grown up to that point to be very aware of and uh, had eliminated things in my life and uh, uh, avenues and means in my life by which to access uh, pornography so that I was able to, by doing so, find a lot of freedom, praise God. Um, And it was my first time you know, really experiencing that freedom uh, from this addiction for over a year. Uh, and so, you know, when I was really, really struggling with this, uh, you know, experiencing, as some say, sobriety for like a couple of weeks or a month was like, you know, exciting, but there was always just that strong nagging thought in the back of my head that like, this isn't going to last like you're not going to, um, you know, you're not going to get any farther than this than a couple of weeks or a month, you know, rarely a month, rarely did I ever hit a month, um, of sobriety. And it was really, uh, something that I didn't allow myself to enjoy the freedom of because I didn't believe that I was ever going to make it past that. Uh, a truly, I should say, there was a hope, but you know, there was that nagging part of me deep down that said it's not going to happen. So, um, up to this point in my life, you know, being married, having eliminated a lot of these things, having sought help, all these things, um, I had found freedom for months, and now, oh, at this point, over a year, um, and I was giving myself finally permission to enjoy that permission to say and to have con- like giving myself permission to have confidence in that that like wait wait i i can do this i can do i'm, I'm doing it and it's almost kind of like running you know um it's kind of like the, the start was like really difficult and slow and you're like ah oh, i'm tired now but this felt like i'm running and i'm like i'm i'm doing it i'm going it's happening and i can keep going i'm gonna keep going and i i I surrendered and allowed myself to believe that, uh, which is a very vulnerable thing for me, you know, because um, for over 10 years of my life, I've been met with, 
you know, the opposite. Um, so, you know, being able to surrender to that confidence was um, a vulnerable thing uh, and, and a joyful thing. So, um, you know, a, a little over a year ago, um, I found myself traveling. Um, and so Bianca and I were separated for about a week, you know, uh, and I found myself, I had to stop at, uh, you know, a certain place to, for the night, uh, on my travels and found myself, uh, accessing pornography, having the ability to access pornography. And I ended up relapsing after over a year. Um, and this was post-marriage. This was, you know, having spent four plus years striving to inspire and motivate people to live heroic lives. And, um, when I had relapsed, um, after over a year, all those like nagging thoughts of, you know, I told you this wasn't going to happen. You were never going to make it. You were never going to get past this. This was always going to be in your life. You're never going to be truly free. You're never going to find um, that peace. And you're, you're always going to be broken like this. Um, and, and, and not only that, but I knew that I had to tell Bianca about it, my wife. And I knew that, you know, from, from our conversations, that was going to be so painful for her. Um, and the last thing I want to do is to hurt my wife, obviously. Um, and so I, uh, man, I, I, uh, I remember like just feeling so isolated and, um, I was, I was really like spiraling out of control, uh, emotionally. Um, I was, I was, uh so angry and upset and immediately like the thoughts of I gotta get to confession I gotta I gotta um you know find my way back to the Lord somehow and um you know come home the problem was like was that like I went to confession that night and um emotionally I still felt everything that uh that I had just moments after I'd relapsed, uh, what I what I felt was so so weird because in this moment I didn't necessarily feel unworthy of the love of God, but I I felt like God's love was not enough to fix this problem, you know. So it, it, for me, it wasn't like, I'm unworthy. It was more so like, I don't see how the father's love is going to be helpful in this situation right now. I don't see how being told I'm loved is going to make my wife feel better, is going to erase the fact that this happened or, uh, you know, uh, erase the pain and the disappointment and the fact that, um, I didn't make it, you know, that I, that I, that I did relapse and that, um, that I had opened myself up to feel confident and that was shattered. I don't really, you know, at the time I, I didn't really see how like the father's love 
was helpful. And so like, it was almost like this weird feeling of, I don't really see it having a place here. And so I was kind of in my own darkness, you know, I don't really like, I was like, I don't like, sure. The Lord will forgive me. And I'm grateful for that. But how does that, how does that lessen the pain that my wife is feeling right now? And that she just felt after I just told her, and how does that change the fact that this just happened? You know? Cause that's what I'm really just like, like tasseled up about. Um, and that was really, really challenging. Uh, cause I'd never experienced that before. You know, uh, I had never experienced a moment where it felt like God's love was irrelevant. Um, I've never felt that before. And that was such a, an unusual and, and, and weird experience. Um, and kind of looking back, it really changed the way I saw my relationship with the Lord in this, at least in that moment, in the sense of, I, I saw the Lord as someone who couldn't fix this. Um, and so I, I didn't really bring it to him and I kind of isolated myself from him, which was already challenging because I already felt isolated to begin with. Uh, I mean, my wife wasn't even there. Like I was alone. And I mean, the last thing I'd consciously would like to do is to separate myself from the Lord and I by isolation. But that was the, that was the next thing I did after all of that, because I didn't really see how it was helpful. If anything, it was more painful to think about the father's love than, um, than helpful. Um, and so I, I kind of saw him as unhelpful and um, more so burdensome because I, I, I was in a place of like, I made a mistake. I, I wish I could take it back. I wish I could take it back. I wish like all, like that whole year plus that I just wasted. I can't get that back. How is being told I'm loved going to fix that, going to change that and erase that? Um, I just couldn't see it. Um, and, you know, it just left me in, in such a, an awkward place. Even now, like, as you can probably tell, I'm still struggling to articulate it from like how awkward it, it felt, you know, cause um, I've always, my main, my main, I guess center in my interior is coming back to the father and knowing that I'm loved. Like that always seemed to, to be a mode of consolation and a mode of healing and a mode of hope for me. And this is the first time it wasn't um, not even just intellectually, you know? Um, and so that was really, really challenging. You know, I, I think in a large way, it became relevant for me because I had to, um, it became, it became relevant again in the sense that he, um, almost in a sense, he was telling me, uh, like, I'm not going to take that away. Like, I'm not going to erase that from your story. Um, but what I can do is I can redeem it and I will redeem it. And, I will make something beautiful out of it. Um, and I was, and I think that's what changed, you know, um, 
because I, I, uh, I'd really kind of based my, I guess my, my worth and a lot of, you know, for myself, like I really based uh, my value off of, you know, how, how long I've been sober uh, in a large way. And that was really the first time I realized that to be honest, um, like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be a disappointment to the father today because I've, you know, been sober for X amount of days or X amount of weeks or X amount of months or years. Um, and then, and that like, there have been moments, moments in my life during the struggle where I've really just experienced the lie that I'm a disappointment because I just like, like, I just went to confession and I just relapsed like a couple hours later or a day later or a, or a couple of days later, you know, I, he, like the father must be so disappointed and, and he must be looking down. Like, are you serious? Like, come on. I just, I just forgave you. Like we just did this and right away you're back at it again. You know, um, those were lies that I had believed and, I think this really put that under the microscope. And um, I think I had a deeper experience of realizing that my past in a way is not going to be erased, um, but it will be redeemed and it has been redeemed uh, and there's meaning in it and that there's hope in, in the struggle and there's hope in, in my failings, not in spite of them. And I, I experienced that most profoundly when uh, later that night just had a longer conversation with, with Bianca and, and, and just experiencing her forgiveness um, and her patience and her commitment uh, was absolutely profound. And it kind of just opened my eyes a little bit to recognize that, um, that I'm not a lost cause. So I think that was the biggest thing. Like, like, sure, the father will, like, I can be forgiven. But does that mean I'm a lost cause? Like, being forgiven doesn't necessarily mean that, um, at least in my mind. It didn't necessarily mean that I wasn't going to be a lost cause, you know. Uh, but in my mind, being a lost cause or not being a lost cause meant, uh never sinning again, never making another mistake, you know, um, and never, never falling short in this way again. Um, and that, that's kind of like what I felt had defined me and would give me my value and my worth as a husband, uh, as a potential father at the time, as a friend, as a brother, as a mentor, um, as a peer, as an example, et cetera, um, really just that belief that I needed to be perfect in order for me to feel like I was worthy of all the, the praise and admiration that I'd received over the years. Um, and that like, no one could really, no one could or should see the, the brokenness that was there, you know? Um, but it wasn't until I realized that my, what I've done is redeemable and has been redeemed that things began to change, that there's meaning behind it. There's, there's hope in it. There's beauty in 
what the Lord can do with that. Um, and, and that's what, that's what began to shift for me. Uh, to be a beloved child of the father to me means everything. It's, it's all I have really. Um, I, nothing else has, has sustained me like that. Um, I, uh, I, I oftentimes, um, when I go to my, when I go to my fridge, there's a picture of, uh, my son, um, an ultrasound, but it's like one of those 3d ultrasounds where like, I get to see his face and he's kind of doing this thing where he's kind of cradling himself like that. And I just think it's like the cutest thing. And sometimes I'll, I'll just like go to my fridge and I'll just look at it and I'll just tear up. And I'll just think like, this kid has done absolutely nothing for me. He's done nothing but exist. And I'm here crying over him in just pure joy. He's done nothing, absolutely nothing. And I just, my heart swells at the thought of my son. And I think the Lord had allowed that to be a grace for me to say like, Randall, I delight in you just like that, but just so much more, more than you can ever imagine. And that just, just the thought of that, just, uh, I constantly need to go back to that in my prayer when I'm, when I'm doubting, when I'm, when I'm not sure if I believe that anymore or when life gets hard. I oftentimes go back to that and I've been going back to that a lot recently that like the father is delighting in me because I am here. And that was like the most difficult thing for me to wrap my head around up until this point, up until being a father myself. I didn't really understand like what that meant. Like my whole life I'd been trying to earn people's love. My whole life I've been trying to earn people's approval and attention. Uh, and like how looking at my son and even just a picture of my son, delighting in him, loving him is as easy as breathing. You know, how much, how much more, how much more does my father do that for me? And, if I could summarize what it means for me to be a son and be that, um, that everything, everything comes from that, from that place of just being delighted in just because you're here and that you exist and that I exist. And that's something I'm going to have to continue chewing on for the rest of my life. Cause, um, it's, it's such a profound thing to contemplate, but such a sweet consolation that, uh, I am so grateful to have experienced. So if I could, as I could sum it up somehow, it'd be that. Hmm. Man. Yeah. I mean, definitely through my wife and through my son, um, that's, that's been um, a huge point of reference for me for the father's love 
for how I love my son and for how my wife loves me. Um, that's been a huge point of reference. Um, but a really big one and one that continues to resonate with me is, um, is that this, the, really the prodigal son, and I mean that in particular, the, the return of the prodigal son, written by Henry Nouwen, um, really that book kind of just opened up for me, really the parable itself and just that picture and that painting um, painted by Rembrandt, I believe, um, continues to be a point of reference for me. And I continue to, to go back to that in my prayer and in my mind. I have it in my office because <laughs> I need to look at it regularly. Um, and it, it's, it continues to just be this reminder um, of the tender love of God where like this son, this young man in the painting who's like disheveled. I mean, good gracious, he left a, he left a flip-flop on the road. I mean, he's just so scattered um, and his clothes are ragged. And one of my favorite images that Henry Nouwen pointed out was uh, his clothes are ragged as he's kneeling in front of the father and nothing he has on was anything that he had left with. You know, everything that he had kind of, everything's wearing, he kind of picked up either on his prodigalness or maybe on the way there. I don't know. But the only thing that he, that he kept from his father and that he held on to and he took back was, it looked like a dagger or something like that. Um, which Henry Nowen was, was saying, like, even though this son was out squandering his inheritance, there was still a part of him that knew who he was deeply, which is why he like amidst the ragged clothes had held on to that item, that dagger or knife, I believe. Um, because there's a part of him that still hung on, which ultimately is what brought him home. I think or a big reason why he came home eventually. Um, and I think that just like speaks so deeply to me that, you know, amidst all the noise that goes on within my own heart and all the things that I struggle with and all the ways in which I grasp at the end of the day, the core of it all is still crying out for the Lord and crying out for the father. And that part always, that part of me always seems to make its way home somehow. And that's the, that's till the end of my days. I think I know that everything that you are looking for is for the sake of being happy at the end of it all. At the end of the day, what you and I are looking for is pure bliss and joy and fulfillment and all the ways twisted, untwisted, helpful, unhelpful, harmful, or unharmful, all of them is just a cry for deep fulfillment in our own hearts. And I just want you to know that that fulfillment that you're looking for, that deep ache to be seen, to be approved of, to be loved, to be recognized, to be wanted, there's a place where that can find its rest 
And that is in the heart of God. It was just chasing, hungering after you, thirsting for you, and sent Jesus here after you and after me to bring us that, to, to make us sons and daughters who enjoy the inheritance and the abundance of their father. And so whatever it is that is bringing you happiness now, just know that there's more to come in the heart of God. Thank you for listening to Randall's story. I would love to share your story as well. Please connect with us on social media or by clicking on the join us link at knowhis.love.